When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode 68 of Exodus, God's Great Rescue, and we left off yesterday talking about the construction of the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and there's so much written about the Ark of the Covenant, and there's movies about the Ark of the Covenant, and we spent a lot of time talking about the Ark when God was giving the plan about the Ark of the Covenant. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the Ark. Uh, I even showed some pictures uh, for those who were able to see it, um, but we're not we're not going to do that. Um, but we might talk a little bit more about some of the other things that um, are in the the sanctuary, in the temple, in the synagogue. All right, so uh, we're just going to start reading on Exodus chapter thirty-seven, beginning of verse ten, where we talk about the table. They made the table of acacia wood. Two cubits long, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. Then they overlaid it with pure gold and made a gold molding around it. They also made around it a rim of handbreadth wide and put a gold molding on the rim. They cast four gold rings for the table and fastened them to the four corners where the four legs were. The rings were put close to the rim to hold the poles used to carrying the table. The poles for carrying the table were made of acacia wood and were overlaid with gold, and they made from pure gold the articles for the table, its plates, its dishes, its bowls, and its pitchers for the pouring out of the drink offering. So on this table is the, is the drink offering. There's also a, a bread offering. Uh, so there's bread, there's drink, and this is part of that um, inner courtyard of the tabernacle. It's outside of the Holy of Holies. The only thing in this area is the table of presence, um, which has the bread of presence and the, uh, the menorah, the lampstand. Those are the two things that are in this particular area. And then behind the curtain, you have the Ark of the Covenant. That's the Holy of Holies. So the, we talked a little bit about this. This is bread on this table. There's pitchers. Uh, there's utensils on this table. This would have been the table that that where they have bread and wine uh, so for uh, for passover this would be uh, items in in the tabernacle for the for the passover um but but it's more it's more than that it's the actual the bread of presence the the bread that's in there that reminds everybody of the presence of god um and we talked a little bit about the dimensions of this thing. It has four posts for carrying it. It's inside. Nothing really too unusual about that. The, the next thing is probably a little bit more uh, significant. Uh, so let's just keep reading in verse 17. They made the lampstand of pure gold. They hammered out its base and shaft and made its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches extended from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms were on one branch and three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand were four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud was under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair. 
six branches in all. The buds and the branches were all of one piece with the lampstand hammered out of pure gold. They made its seven lamps as well as its wick trimmers and trays of pure gold. They made the lampstand and all its accessories from one talent of pure gold. So a talent is quite a considerable amount of gold. Uh, and this is the menorah that would sit in the temple, in the tabernacle, lighting that area where the table of presence is. And there's seven lamps on it that are each have, if you remember, uh, it's olive oil that they said. And so you've got each of these uh, lamps uh, with olive oil, but it's got wicks and it burns. And I don't know how bright olive oil burns and I don't know how much light is in this particular area. But this is a lamp that would be lit uh, from morning to or from night till morning so that you have light in this particular area. And um, the interesting thing about the menorah is that this is a, is a, a powerful symbol of the nation of Israel. Uh, whenever you think of it, whenever you see the menorah, the, the iconic lampstand, then you think of the nation of Israel. This is something that is small enough that people could actually have a replica of this in their house that they would use for the Passover meal as, as a reminder of, of the temple, uh, the tabernacle. And this is a very important piece. So uh, you can actually pick up menorahs. Uh, if you would like, you can uh, you can Google online and find menorahs that are available. Um, uh, let's see. Um, I think I had yeah. So here's here's Bed Bath and Beyond. You can actually pick up a brass temple style Hanukkah menorah, um, and it's for three hundred eighty nine dollars and ninety nine cents. But Bed Bath and Beyond membership price is three eleven ninety nine. So save $78 if you sign up now. And you can do it in even four monthly payments of $97. But it's a brass menorah. Uh, the buds aren't as elaborate and as beautiful as the one that's described. Oh, there they are. They're just all scrunched together. Um, or, yeah, one, two, three. So, because um, it doesn't say specifically where it is, so they've got the buds all scrunched together. And um, so that is, the, that is the menorah that you can pick up a bed, bath, and beyond. Uh, and and there have been very very ornate menorahs throughout time. Um, they they have a, kind of a Holocaust memorial, and uh, in in various parts in Europe, and typically the menorah is a part of that. Sometimes it's replicas of the menorah, and sometimes it's abstract art of the menorah. And I'm under I understand that even in the uh, the time of poor, uh, when uh, each household wanted to have a menorah in their household and they couldn't afford even a brass menorah, they would sometimes carve out potatoes in the shape of a menorah and put lamps and oils on the potato. It only lasted one day, but they could kind of create one. So it's a, it's a very powerful symbol of the nation of Israel. And so this is, this is very important for them. Um, and of course, the instructions for this is back earlier in the book of Exodus, but now they're creating it. Um, they're taking gold, one talent of pure gold, and they're sh sh forming it and shaping it to be gold-plated around this whole entire menorah. And obviously, uh, Bezalel and Aholiab 
are directing the work and they are master craftsmen and this must be a very beautiful piece. Uh, like the Ark of the Covenant, people have wondered where this particular piece is and this one is probably also lost to antiquity, although there are some archaeologists that believe that it might be with the Ark of the Covenant. Um, perhaps all these pieces that were in the original temple are still around, all gathered together in the storing place of the Ark of the Covenant. That would be kind of cool. I think if you found the original lampstand with the talent of gold, you're probably talking about a million dollars worth of gold in today's today's market, maybe a half million dollars. I don't know, but a, quite a bit of gold. Um, so anything else about this that I want to... No, it's just, it's the lampstand. They're following God's uh, design, and now they're making it. Uh, so let's continue on. Uh, verse 25. They made the altar of incense out of acacia wood. It was square, a cubit long, and a cubit wide, and two cubits high. Its horns of one piece with it. They overlaid the top of it and all the sides of the horns with pure gold and made a gold molding around it. They made two gold rings below the molding, two on each side of the opposite sides to hold the poles used to carry it. And they made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. They also made the sacred anointing oil and the pure fragrant incense, the work of a perfumer. And if you'll remember, they even gave earlier in Exodus the ingredients, the recipe for the exact um, oil perfume that's supposed to go at the altar of incense, and that it also goes on the priests, so that there's that smell, that distinct smell that's to be used for the altar of incense and for the priests. Uh, everything associated with the temple has a specific smell to it. And so when you smell that smell, you also have another reference that you're kind of in the presence of God. Uh, and the priest is in the presence of God, and the altar of incense is in the presence of God. Um, just kind of a cool thing that God uses, you know, beauty, His our eyes, the, the smell, the touch. Um, all these different things are part of this tabernacle to remind us of God's presence. And God gave all the instructions on it. Um and this, this would be outside the actual tent uh, in the courtyard is where this altar of incense is. Um, well, yeah. All right. Let's continue on. The altar of burnt offering. Uh, before we do, though, I think the altar of incense is actually at the front of the curtains. I think that's where that is. You have to go around it to get into the Holy of Holies. The altar of burnt offering, I think, is outside. So, just want to make that clarification. Verse uh, chapter thirty-eight, verse one. They built the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood, three cubits high. It was square, five cubits long, and five cubits wide. They made a horn at each of the four corners, so that the horns and the altar were of one piece. And they overlaid the altar with bronze. They made all the utensils of bronze: its pots, shovels, and sprinkling bowls, meat forks, and fire pans. They made a grating for the altar, a bronze network to be used under its ledge halfway up the altar. They cast bronze rings to hold the poles of the four corners of the bronze grating. They made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. They inserted the poles into the rings so that they would be on the sides of the altar for carrying it, and they made hollows out of boards. So this is where they offer sacrifices 
um, to God. And we touched upon this before, but these sacrifices would come in. The priest would um, sacrifice these animals at the altar of burnt offering using the holy tongues. Um, he would be smelling like the perfume that's been directed. And then that offering smell goes up to God and God's pleased with this offering forgives sins. And the reason why God is pleased with offerings is because it is a foretaste of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And, and this, is, um, this is from the book of Hebrews where it says it's not the blood and bull, the blood of lambs and bulls that, that God is pleased with that smell. It's because it foreshadows or it's a foretaste of Jesus. And that's the only reason why the Old Testament sacrifices are pleasing to God. Um, because it's it's it reminds God it's a it's a pre pre offering of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and so they would bring in um, all sorts of offerings and offer that here in the in the in the synagogue in the temple, in the tabernacle. All right, we'll continue on verse uh, eight. They made the bronze basin and its bronze stand from the mirrors of the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So this is a basin for washing uh, that they would do uh, as a part of kind of purifying yourself and washing to become clean when you come into the whole entire tent of meeting. So the tent of meeting is the big tent. The tabernacle is the small tent. There's things in the courtyard like the altar of sacrifice. And then there's stuff in the little in the tabernacle. There's is items in there too. All directed by God. All right, then the courtyard. Verse 9, next they made the courtyard. The south side was 100 cubits long and had curtains of finely twisted linen with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases and with silver hooks and bands on the posts. The north side was also 100 cubits long and had 20 posts and 20 bronze bases with silver hooks and bands on the posts. The west end was 50 cubits wide and had curtains with 10 posts and 10 bases with silver hooks and bands on the posts. The east end, towards the sunrise, was also 50 cubits wide. Curtains 15 cubits long were on one side of the entrance, with three posts and three bases. The curtains 15 cubits long were on the other side of the entrance to the courtyard, with three posts and three bases. All of the curtains around the courtyard were to finely twisted linen. The bases for the posts were bronze. The hooks and the bands on the posts were silver and their tops were overlaid with silver, so all the posts of the courtyard had silver bands. The curtain for the entrance to the courtyard was made of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. It was 20 cubits long and, like the curtains of the courtyard, five cubits high, with four posts and four bronze bases. Their hooks and bands were silver and their tops were overlaid with silver. All the tent pegs of the tabernacle and of the surrounding courtyard were bronze. So, uh, and we've discussed this before. It's a rather large, um, it's probably what, 40 feet by 80 feet or something like that. This, uh, maybe it's 50 by 100, but this is the, the courtyard and it's completely surrounded by curtains. Now, what's interesting is that this is a nomadic people living in the desert on the Sinai Peninsula and, or wandering on the Sinai Peninsula. They don't get a lot of rain here. So the idea of creating an outdoor courtyard with the tabernacle, uh, it's a place where you could go and, and offer offerings. It doesn't rain that much. Like this design would not work if you lived, let's say, in Oregon, where it rains 310 days out of the year. 
This is definitely a design that God came up with for this people to live in the desert. It's a desert design. Uh, and they were able to pick it up and move it from place to place. Now, had it been in a place where it rains a lot, God would have come up with a different design. But it's this people in this place in this time. And so God told them the materials to use. Um, and it's, as I've said before, I would love to at some point create a replica of this and uh, and have it available for people to unveil to come and take a look at the uh, the tabernacle, the courtyard all the offering incense and things like that. It would be, you'd almost have to talk to a traveling, because they have traveling tabernacles. They have all this traveling and you can stay in your place for a week or two weeks or something like that. And then you you you, you do it as, a, as an offering for the community. Because to build all this stuff and to set it up is an incredibly labor-intensive thing. So you don't want to do it all the time. And if you if you stored it somewhere, it would probably take a whole connex of storage to be able to store this thing. So if you wanted to bring it out once a year, uh, it would probably take about, I'm guessing, four guys a week to put all this together. So that would be 200 hours of labor um, and then uh, the storing of it in, in a container. So it's not something that you would want to do all the time. Uh, obviously, the Israelites did not want to move a lot. <laughs> They were probably fine saying, oh, no, we got to tear this thing down and move again. Moses, can't we just stay here? It's too, I, we don't want to do all that work. But it's Moses that says, nope, it's time to go. God says we got to go, so we're going to go. So we're going to pick up and we're going to move. We're going to take all this stuff with us. And that's what they did. All right, let's, uh, let's continue reading in verse 21. These are the amounts of the materials used for the tabernacle. The tabernacle of the covenant law which were recorded at Moses' command by the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest, Bezalel, son of Uri, and son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made everything the Lord commanded Moses. With him was Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer and an embroiderer in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. The total amount of the gold from the wave offering used for all the work of the sanctuary was 29 talents and 730 shekels, according to the sanctuary shekel. So this is a lot of gold. This is, um, now a talent is, uh, by the time of Jesus, the talent is a person's wages for one year that they were paid a talent. So this is, Back then, this would be um, a certain amount of gold. Now, gold was more prevalent thousands of years ago than it is today. So the value of gold is not as much as what it is today. Um, remember, the price of gold, believe it or not, the price of gold is still a commodity which is dependent upon how much gold is mined out of the mines and how much is available and how easy it is to get a hold of gold. So there is a certain sunk cost to go into a mine and pull out gold, but there's also a cost limited to supply and demand that just dictates how much gold is available uh, in the world. And, and that's why gold, while it seems like a fantastic, um, the amount of gold that's existing on the earth right now that hasn't been mined, so I'm just talking about the, the mined gold that's on the earth, and it could be in bars or it could be whatever. That gold is a fixed amount 
Uh, and because it's a fixed amount, the price of gold stays fairly constant um, over time. And uh, But the amount of unmined gold, we have absolutely no how much, we don't know how much there is. We don't know how much it costs. To, I mean, the, the, the amount of gold that gets mined annually is not affecting the amount of gold that exists on the earth. And it's a very, 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 very small percentage. Um, but if you could, if you could find a new gold mine and go in there and pull it out, because this is a fixed cost, you, your cost for the price of gold versus the cost of extracting the gold, refining it and putting it into gold bars and selling it on the open market. You, if you had a gold mine, you might actually do very, 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 very well. So if any of you have a gold mine in your backyard, let me know. I'd be happy to come and dig out the gold, melt it down for you, make bars and, uh, and sell it on the open market. Um, but the number of gold mines that we know is not all that large. Most of it, I think, is in South Africa. But um, there could be other gold mines throughout the world. And it is a trace mineral, even in the mines here in Arizona, where it's mostly copper. Um, one of the trace minerals coming out of these gold, uh, out of these mines is gold. So they're able to get amount of gold and molybdenum and copper and perhaps some silver and all those different things extracted from the gold. But this, um, so it may, like the amount of gold, 29 talents of gold would be a lot of money, millions of dollars today, maybe even billions of dollars. But that's because the price of gold today is much higher than what it was back at the time of Moses. So uh, it's quite a bit of gold that's used, 29 talents and 730 shekels. But um, in today's market, it would be a phenomenal amount of gold, a cost of gold, that's for sure. Gold was much more plentiful back then. I guess that's what I want to say. And uh, 29 talents is a lot of gold. 730 shekels is a lot of shekels. Um, let's see. Yeah, we'll keep going. The silver obtained from those of the community who were counted in the census was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels, according to the sanctuary shekel. One becca per person, that is half a shekel, according to the sanctuary shekel, from everyone who had crossed over to those counted, 20 years old or more, a total of 603,550 men. So now we know uh, how many people are kind of here right now. It's 603,550 men. That does not include women. It does not include children. And we have no idea if it includes the slaves. So this is a lot of people still. When you think about it, this is a city the size of Tucson um, moving in the desert. And you think, how can they even exist as a people with this many people? And this is something that, oh man, look at the time. Well, well, well. Um, all right, well, um, I'll just say this. Uh, the amount of people per square mile here uh, is a very, very dense uh, amount of people. They have tents, but the tents are close together. So it's not like that they're spread out out of a large area. They probably could fit in a radius, in a circle radius of about <clears throat> three miles round, I'm guessing. We'll get into this on Tuesday of next week. Uh, but I'm guessing that from the edge of the circle to the center where the temple or the tabernacle would be, is probably about three miles, maybe two and a half miles. And a person can easily walk three miles. But just think about the amount of food, the amount of water, 
uh, the amount of clothing, the amount of cattle, and all that sort of thing that people have to have to exist. This is a lot of people. It's 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 larger than the town than Tucson, metropolitan Pima County area. It's it's because you're talking about six hundred three thousand five hundred fifty men. So if you add four or five on top of this, we're talking about you know three million people, two and a half million, three million people. Who knows? It is a lot of people. And uh, this is a large tribe, a very large, powerful tribe. So if you saw this tribe coming towards you, you would be a little bit afraid because there's a lot of people here. Um, and, the, and they all are blessed by this beautiful synagogue. And they all gave a little bit, but they gave enough for them to build this huge thing. And boy, we could talk about that. So maybe we'll save that for next week. All right. So... Um, Man, so we we uh, finished with verse 26. I need to write that down, otherwise I won't remember because it's halfway on the page. Uh, so verse 26 and uh, of chapter 38. And um, I think we'll leave it there and we'll spend... There's some really good stuff coming up next week, so you won't want to miss it. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for the beauty of your tabernacle. And the fact that you laid out the design and the people built it. And it reminds me of your beauty of creation, which we enjoy every day. So be with us over this uh, great weekend and keep us safe and bring us back again next week. In Jesus' name, amen.